2: check his left for three in the win! Yes! Dion
0: has done it! I watched Marcus Morris handling the ball like he was a point guard. I watched him give the ball to Julius Randle. This brother was dribbling the ball up the damn court. First team all defense! First team all defense! I don't
2: know about this, but
1: Rihanna just walked in front of me. Are you kidding me? Welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Road of Wire NBA podcast. I always have on Tuesdays, by road assistant NBA editor, Alex Barutha. Alex, we're, we're kind of reaching that point in the season already, um, where we, we look around the league and we say, all right, we're still not really sure uh, where where some teams stand. Uh, obviously, in the West, we have a, a pack of teams that are kind of starting to pull away. Um, we've talked extensively on this show about just how much the postponements and all the COVID uncertainty um, have, have kind of changed how we view this season. But you know, we kind of sat down and said, what do we want to talk about today? And it, it resulted in a, a major grab bag of nine or 10 topics that are all over the place. So we'll kind of work through those, uh, jump around the league, talk about uh, some teams, some players, some some trade rumors that we want to hit on. Uh, I want to start with this. I guess it's a report uh, that came out Monday afternoon that the NBA is now considering holding some sort of All-Star game in early March. So All-Star weekend has been earmarked since the beginning of the league year uh, for March 5th through the 10th. Until yesterday at like four o'clock, the expectation was that this would just be a break, uh, maybe an opportunity to make up a game or two over that that six-day span. Um, but more than anything, it would just be you know players who maybe have been isolating, uh, getting to, to reunite with their family, things like that. Now it seems like the league is is trying to take advantage of this break and and like I said, hold quote some sort of all-star game. I saw some reports yesterday that this would be like a made-for-TV type of event. Obviously, there wouldn't really be any fans there. If there would be fans, it'd be a very small amount. Um, and then the rub here is that the league is is trying to pass this off, I guess, as um, you know, an event that would showcase and, and benefit HBCUs, um, you know, in in the South. So. That part of it is great. I think the response that I saw more than anything was, hey, how about you just give some money or you know shine the spotlight on these schools without doing something like this? Yeah. Uh, but what are your initial thoughts on, on the NBA uh, seemingly trying to shoehorn an all-star game in uh, like a month before that weekend is coming up?
3: Very surprising to me, um, given that they can't even keep a full slate of games intact uh, without either multiple players from a team missing a game or just general postponements. You know, I never, I never thought they were going to make up the postponed games during, um, during the the All Star break. I thought that was just going to be a break. And th- this was very surprising to me. This seems like it's fraught with risk. And I think everybody, you you use the right term when you said they're trying to pass it off as a benefit to COVID and HBCUs, which is great. Like they should help those things. But again. Like you said, most of the reaction that I've heard from people so far is, well, why don't you just give them that money anyway? And um, it it was just really surprising when I saw this tweet pop up. I just thought there would be like almost next to no chance of this happening. I mean, if you had said at the start of the year that they were going to try to hold an all-star game, I'd be thinking like, oh, they must have had like zero COVID cases. Was, Was COVID in the United States eradicated? Like what happened?
1: Right. I I think that's that's a great way to put it is and especially the way that they they announced this, uh, you know, Woj and Shams tweeted it out. And then like a half hour later, uh, tomorrow, uh, a a game for Monday night was canceled. The the Spurs Pelicans game was postponed because of potential COVID exposure on both sides of that game. Um, So, yeah, it's not crazy to me that that they want to have an all star game. I think that possibility was was always there. But the way that things have been going with multiple games canceled per week and. You know, the last two weeks of the season being by far the worst for such things. It's just kind of a crazy time to make that announcement. Um, Obviously, the vaccination efforts have not gone uh, as expected. The NBA took some heat last week when there were some reports that maybe they would look to, uh, you know, kind of jump the line, so to speak. uh, And in exchange, you know, do some sort of public showing of support for the vaccine. I, I don't want to get into that. That's a whole separate debate. Um the HBCU thing is is great. Like we said, I, I don't think anyone opposes that at all. And then, for the record, if, if you're not sure what HBCU is, it's historically black colleges and universities. Um, so there's a chance that this game could actually be played at an HBCU gym. That would be very cool. Um, but at the same time, if if there aren't fans there, I, I don't know exactly you know what kind of exposure this is bringing. I, i'm I'm not sure what the situation is at these schools as far as if students are even on campus or if they're they're learning remotely, whatever it might be. I, I guess the question is like, does the NBA need to host an event like this to raise whatever money would presumably be going to these schools or could they just do it anyway? And I, I think the fact that they brought this up has now almost brought out an obligation where it's like, even if they don't hold this all-star game, it's like the fact that you brought in the HBCU component, you're now kind of obligated to do something there.
3: This is, oh man, I just got a, uh, a Scott's tots fl- like flashback. <laughs> uh this could be a Scotts Tots situation, uh from the office. Silver's but, Tots. <laughs> Silver's Tots. I uh yeah, I, I just think like they're creating a lot of obligation uh to this happening and I think you know, essentially like this is putting a uh this feels like they're going to end up having to peer pressure these players who could vote to the All Star game to go, right? Because if you're trying to hold an all-star game and you know, you, you have 30 players that would theoretically be going there it feels like there's a good chance that like half of them would be like i'm not doing that like you get i'm not going to this and so what happens then do they just get you try to find 15 other replacement players like it seems like we'll be watching like isaac bonga and svima hiluk playing the all-star game at that rate
1: i mean i i'm on the record as loving the all-star game i'm in the top 0.1% of people who enjoy the All-Star Game in any format. It's taken a lot of heat in recent years. Uh, that, yeah, I, I think I, I think they're coming off of a lot of momentum with last year's All-Star Game. Maybe there's something with wanting to to keep that up. I don't know. Um, but if you read the report on ESPN, uh, it says, quote, talks are centered on a stripped-down All-Star Game scenario that would largely be focused on the game, with little in the way of fan-related experiences, if any, surrounding it. And that was that was according to an NBA source. So. I, to me, I guess it's just the, the players, I, I think more so than than the NFL or the MLB, certainly the NFL, the players want to play in the All-Star game. It's an honor. There's not as, nearly as much injury risk as there is playing football. So that's understandable. At the same time, given all that's happened in the last year, and you know, especially considering a lot of the players playing in this game were the players that were in the bubble. A lot of those guys went deep into the playoffs last year. My guess is that LeBron James and Anthony Davis and and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo would prefer to just hang out with their families for that week instead of go down to Atlanta and play an all-star game with no fans and no, you know, n- none of the fanfare that comes with the all-star game that makes it a lot of fun for players. Um, I guess the question too is, you know, does the league, you know, kind of, kind of do some financial leveraging as it did with the bubble as it did with getting the season started earlier in December, you know, where it's like, Hey, if we do this all-star game, you know, maybe there's a concession for something else on the player side, or or maybe this benefits, uh, ownership or, or, you know, basically kind of stemmed some of the bleeding, um, you know, that, that teams have had financially over the last year. I'm, I'm not really sure.
3: I would assume that's the case. Um, you know, maybe they tossed the idea. L- listen, we know they couldn't do the horse tournament again. That could not happen. Uh, why so, not? <laughs> uh, I don't even want to, dis- I didn't watch it. Did you actually watch that?
1: Uh, is the Pope Catholic? Yeah, I watched it. Are you <laughs> kidding me? That was incredible. No, that was terrible TV. But if, if they had taken it a little more seriously and I, I think had a, a slightly stronger field, it would have been really cool. My, my dream, as you know, is to get the one-on-one tournament or even the two-on-two tournament at some point, which, which will never happen. But I, I think that would be peak entertainment at the all-star game. I'm with you there. All right. Anyway, switching gears, um, let's go to the Pelicans who who very quietly today, it uh, sounds like they're sending out some feelers on on potentially dealing Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick. Uh, New Orleans, I believe, has lost eight out of nine before last night's game against the Spurs was postponed. Uh, obviously disappointing. And I, you and I have been pretty low on the Pels um, since the preseason. So, you know, when you, when you start to look at the roster and, and how it's constructed, and I, I think maybe some of the overhype on guys like Ball and, and Zion Williamson, um, it's a little bit more understandable why they're why they're struggling as they are, but certainly for New Orleans, I, I think this is a franchise that saw itself uh, as as a playoff team and, and probably not a team that had lost eight out of nine games uh, in the middle of January. I at the same time, I, I don't know that I would be wanting to to sell low on Lonzo Ball right now. I, I think I would play it out and and hope that you know he has a a better two to three week or two to three month stretch and obviously you're up against a deadline this season um but you're, you're not necessarily under a, an obligation to trade Lonzo Ball at this point um I, I just feel like Ball especially at Reddick, you know it's we, we see guys like him get traded every deadline I, that's kind of expected but with Ball it just seems like now would not necessarily be the time to to strike a deal because I, I think his value is about as low as it's ever been
3: you are selling low on him for sure when he's shooting 29% on threes uh, seven attempts a game and he's coming off another injury uh, injuries being a concern for him, you know, in four years, he's played 174 games. Yeah. I mean, they just, I, I think they just don't want to pay him, you know, when the extensions, the rookie extensions came around and he didn't sign, you know, it sounded like the two sides were kind of still willing to just, you know, uh, feel it out, maybe go into restrictive free agency and work from there. But things are clearly not working for him the Pelicans. I think the team is constructed extremely badly uh, to try to win games. Uh, they have no spacing and Lonzo ball was a decent floor spacer last year, right? He shot 38% on threes, but he's really just like a, a, a three and D point guard. I just don't know. You know, my question is where does he even go? Who wants Lonzo ball? Who needs a point guard? And is it like, if, if you're a tanking team, do you want Lonzo at this point? Or if you're a contending team, do you want Lonzo? Like what's more likely for him to go to?
1: Well, for one, I think New Orleans needs to decide where they stand in that debate, because yeah. right right now they're an unintentional tanking team and that's not necessarily what, where you want to be. But, you know, if, if if you're starting to go into sell mode, um, my, my question is, are you trying to unload Lonzo Ball and JJ Redick and bring in maybe someone older, someone slightly more established who can help you this season or are you trying to bring in, you know, kind of just bring in a new version of Lonzo Ball, someone you can develop alongside Brandon Ingram and and Zion Williamson, who's closer in age to those guys who I think at this point are, are cl- clearly your top two foundational pieces. I, I think Ball has taken a step back and he's no longer uh, really considered on that level. So, yeah, I mean, it depends what you're looking for. And then, like you said, like what do any teams come to mind? Um, because you, with Lonzo, like if, if you're a contending team, like if you're, I don't know. Not that they need a, a point guard, but like if you're the, the Denver Nuggets or the Utah Jazz, you're not you're not like oh we'll take a flyer on this guy. We'll we'll see if he can come along. Like you need somebody that that's you know more established that's not going to come in and, and shoot 35% from three one month and then 24% from three the next month. So I, to me, I almost feel like it has to be a mid to lower level team that's willing to kind of live with the ebbs and flows that that he's had month to month. Yeah,
3: like I've always kind of felt that Lonzo would all, like, his he cap out at, like, the fourth best player on a title team and, like, maybe third. um And so, like, the only two teams that really came to mind for me, and there are probably others, but, like, you if you just go down the list in the standings, it's hard to find a spot for Lonzo that you feel like makes sense for both teams. The only two that really came to mind for me were the Clippers could certainly use him, right? Three and D player, wouldn't need the ball in his hands a ton. They have a ton of floor spacing, so his, you know, uh, up and down shooting wouldn't be super harmful. And uh, the question, but the question is, what could the Clippers even give back? They don't really have any young players that I think are worth uh, grabbing and they don't have any picks. And then Chicago uh, for Kobe White, potentially, was the only other one that I really like kind of stood out to me. Uh, And I don't know how I feel about this because they're such drastically different players. But I feel like having someone next to Lonzo, or excuse me, having someone like Lonzo next to Levine makes more sense. You, I don't know if you want to double up on like the Kobe White, Zach Levine experience. Uh, and then for the Pelicans, they basically just get a better scoring punch and a three point shooter and someone that could theoretically work next to Eric Bledsoe if they're trying to win games. But if they're not, it's still a building piece.
1: Yeah, the, the Clippers to me are very interesting because. You know, there was another report today that came out and, and said they're interested or among the teams interested in Derrick Rose. And that, that's no secret. I, I think we kind of thought that going into the last deadline and, and Detroit ended up holding on to him. I mean, if you're if you're the Clippers or you're a Clippers fan and like you're you're rooting for this team to win the title, would you rather acquire Derrick Rose or Lonzo Ball?
3: Ooh, um, you know, I think Lonzo would be less redundant with the yeah. pieces they already have. They already have two proven scorers, obviously, with Kawhi and Paul George, and they still have Lou Williams, and they have Luke Kennard now, um, mm-hmm. who theoretically are guys who can score off the bench. So I think you'd want Lonzo to just shore up your defense, essentially, and someone who can facilitate the ball, but I don't think either option is, is bad.
1: Well, with Lonzo, too, I mean, you're it's it's implied that if New Orleans is seeking to deal him they don't want to pay him, or they right. they they don't want to pay him whatever you know he thinks he's worth. Which, yeah, you know, there's an article. Uh, I think it was Bobby Marks had it back in in December that that ball was projected to make like 16 to 18 per year on his extension. I, I think that number has certainly fallen over the last month, um, but but who knows? By the end of the year, it, it could be in that range, and I don't think New Orleans wants to pay that. So whatever team is taking him on, you either you know if it's the Clippers maybe maybe you look at it as a, a really weird one- year rental where normally you're you're renting a thirty two year old shooting guard who's on an expiring deal, but in this case, it's a you know fourth year point guard who's just kind of had a weird start to his career. Um, but it, in the other case, you know, you're bringing this guy in and and probably you're thinking that you're the team that's going to sign him to an extension. So in that case, it takes a team that one really likes him and two has cap space. and three, you know, kind of has some wiggle room where you can hand out a contract like that and if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. So to me, those those are going to be more of like your bottom tier teams.
3: Yeah. I mean, Markel Fultz got three years, 50 million from the Magic. So you would think that Lonzo could theoretically get in that range. Like, I, yeah. I'm putting you on the spot, but would you rather have Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball for the next <laughs> well, I was, three years? I
1: was just going to ask you the same question. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you I don't know. Do this, this is absolutely insane that we're even having this discussion. I, know. Um, I don't know who it's crazier for, for Fultz or Ball. I mean, without the injury, I I think I would still I would think I would say Fultz, but throwing that into the mix with everything else that's happened, obviously Ball's been been injury prone. He hasn't had anything quite as serious as a torn ACL, but yeah, right right now it's Ball. Three weeks ago it was probably Fultz by a hair.
3: Yeah, I think um you know I think if uh, I probably should have framed the question like if Fultz didn't get hurt because that was the that was how we got. I think they're very comparable,
1: assuming you're at the same price.
3: They are. I mean, um, you know, really, it's just Markel Fultz is a better, you know, half-court playmaker. He's better at finishing at the rim. Mm -hmm. And LaMelo is a better, I guess, game manager slash defender. And so I think, you know, those things are uh, probably worth the same to some extent or worth different things to different teams. Mm-hmm. So I I think putting him around that 16 million a year mark makes sense because Ball I mean Ball has shown probably what less development than Mark Kellfolds maybe For sure I, I think Mark
1: Kellfolds started at a lower point so he had more ground to cover but yeah I, I think in terms of where they were 3 years ago versus now yeah
3: Yeah um yeah I this is it's just a really weird market like I, to me the the JJ Redick market like that goes it's so obvious who JJ Redick is and you're probably just paying maybe like a protected first for him. Yep. Uh, you know what you're getting with him. Um, Lonzo is a completely different question. I think whatever happens
1: mm-hmm.
3: is going to just be, it's going to,
1: it has to be like a strange trade, right? Right. Like I don't think. Time. Yeah. I So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Toronto. I don't think they would do this. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. But you know, if, if things really go South for Toronto at some point, Maybe you're looking to unload Kyle Lowry. I mean, that that makes currently makes very little sense for New Orleans. But but like we said at the top, if, if New Orleans for whatever reason feels obligated to do whatever it can to get the eight or get into the playoff or the the play-in in the West this year, I don't know. Maybe that's something you consider. Uh, Money-wise, yeah. wouldn't make a lot of sense taking on that kind of contract. But um, I mean, I would I would love the idea of Lonzo developing at a spot like that. I, I think there's something out there too of of people thinking that he would want to unite with LaMelo, which given how close they are, I think is a possibility. Oh I mean, God. if you're Charlotte, you have very little to lose in that scenario. Um, you know, maybe it's like a half year tryout. And if, if it goes well, you, you'd consider being the team that gives him that extension. Um, and, and maybe like the other thing with Lonzo is like if, if he just continues to struggle, whether he gets traded or not, it's not like teams are under an obligation to sign him to a four year deal. Like it, it's possible he could just sign like a one a one plus one somewhere. Um, And kind of kick that can down the road, which is fairly unprecedented, I guess, for for guys of his stature, even though the production hasn't necessarily been there. But um, it's not like whatever team trades for him is like, you know, under the gun and has to give him 80 million dollars next year.
3: True. The one plus one. The only player I can remember doing that recently is Jabari Parker. Yes. Where he got paid like 20 million (laughs) and then had like a 20 million team option on the other end.
1: I don't think the Bulls picked up that twenty million dollar option, if I recall. They
3: they did not. Um, So actually, ended up being the Wizards, right? Because he got traded to the Wizards. I I, you could tell me he was traded anywhere. I have no idea. Yeah, that was was Um, a tough strike. Lonzo's market is definitely it's really tough to gauge. I think that's that's kind of thing at the end of the day. And personally, I think he fits better on a team that's trying to win now, like a contender. Like I think if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder. The only reason you're trading for Lonzo is to maybe try to flip him again. Mm-hmm. So maybe I could see them doing that, but I just don't see, you know, I just don't see his upside as a top three player on right. a conference finals slash finals team.
1: Yeah, I think more than anything, it, it depends on what New Orleans wants back. Because if if it's hey, we want we want a first round pick and a, another like decent young player. I mean, you're you're not going to get you know a superstar obviously for for Lonzo Ball, but he still has some value. he's still young. Uh, I don't think you're gonna have to like sell him off for a second round pick. Um, you know if they if they prefer a young player and some draft capital versus a, you know a, another like 25 ish year old or a veteran, yeah you know, that that's ultimately what's gonna determine it because I, I think a lot of teams in the league would be interested. Like Lonzo is still a super intriguing player and and I think before the bubble last year, he his stock was probably at an all-time high. like the shooting looked like it was finally for real. Um, I mean, even with his his bad play in the bubble, he still finished last year as a 38 uh, percent three point shooter. Um, but but the thing with for me is he still is terrible at the line. And, you know, despite I guess he's, he's technically shooting a career high 58 uh, percent at the line, but he's still just not getting there whatsoever. Like he's one free throw attempt per game through 12 games. He has a historically low free throw rate that has not improved. If anything, it's gotten worse uh, over his four years in the league. I mean, his assists are way down this season, despite his minutes being almost identical. Um, it's, just, it's just been a weird year. And, and it goes back to what you said at the top, like having Steven Adams and Zion Williamson together in the front court is the equivalent of having Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe together in the backcourt. <laughs> makes no sense.
3: Yeah, I have no idea what the direction of this team mm-hmm.
1: is uh, at all. Now that your season-long fantasy basketball leagues have started, this is a great time to check out our friends at Monkey Knife Fight, the fastest-growing site in daily fantasy. The NHL and NBA are in full swing, and the NFL playoffs are here. The time is now to take advantage of a 100% instant match up to $50 on your first deposit by using our promo code WIRE. That's WIRE, as in Roto-WIRE. Get it? Get it? That's a free $50 in your Monkey Knife Fight account if you sign up with that promo code. We have huge NBA slates pretty much every night with the way the schedule works out this season, so there's no better time to dive into DFS. Whether you're an experienced player, just a beginner, Monkey Knife Fight is the place to play. Visit monkeyknifefight.com and use our promo code WIRE. That's W-I-R-E, WIRE, today. All right, let's move to Kelly Oubre, who is is in a very similar situation. Um, I'm once again forgetting who had the report that Oubre... Uh, may be available. Uh, the, the fit has not been great. I, I think there was a, at, at least on my part, like I, I thought this was going to work out. Okay. Like as far as, um, you know, as far as being able to replace Clay Thompson on extremely short notice, like I, I thought they did all right to bring in Kelly Oubre got off to that terrible start. He's been slightly better over the last couple of weeks, but um, still hasn't looked like quite the same guy that he was in Phoenix last year. Yeah. Um, I mean, Shams Shams Rainier reported today that that the Warriors and the Pelicans have discussed a potential Kelly Oubre deal. I don't, could you could you just do Oubre for Ball straight up?
3: <laughs> um,
1: are the Warriors just trying to dodge the tax? I think or that we... is a big big part of it. Um, but okay. th- that also brings up other questions. Like if you're depending again, kind of like New Orleans, depending on what you get back, it, it kind of shapes the direction you're going. You know, if, if you're trying to get picks back, then that signals to to Steph Curry and Draymond Green that. You're all of a sudden looking now towards twenty one, twenty two.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, if they're just trying to get off the tax, then I guess, yeah, we for Lonzo. Why not? Because uh, Lonzo doesn't make that much money right now. And uh, yeah, so I. Yeah, the, the I still don't know if the Warriors are good or not. They're eight or nine and eight right now. And they've looked a lot better since Draymond came back. And obviously like Wiggins and Oubre were playing so bad to start the season that they had to improve. Right. And we're seeing kind of this correction. And um, I just don't think, I don't know, man, this team just doesn't feel like it has enough, right? Like Wiseman isn't as good as we thought he could be. And that was going to matter a lot for them. Like if Wiseman was going to be an actual rookie of the year contention, they could make some noise, but he's not, he's getting benched for Kavan Looney right now. And I just don't think Oubre and Wiggins are really the impact players that are going to vault them into legitimate contention. And the window is short for Golden State, but like it's just it's not fair to them that Klay that Thompson got hurt, but I don't know what they're supposed to do.
1: Right. No, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, right now, as currently constructed, I think they have just enough to float in the area in the Western Conference that they are right now, which is nine and eight. Tied for the eight seed with San Antonio. I mean, Dallas is breathing down their neck. OKC, Houston are, are right behind. Um, it, it's no guarantee that this team makes the playoffs. And even if they do, we're looking at Lakers, Warriors or Clippers, Warriors, most likely in the first round. And, and I, I think it's pretty easy to see how that would go. I mean, if, if if you're a smart franchise, you know, the move is not to try to pick, you know, 14th next year. It's it's trying to be as bad as you can. Obviously, you you have the Minnesota pick, so that changes things a little bit um, as far as not feeling like you need to to do what you can to get high up in the draft. So so to me, there's not as much downside as there would be for other teams to to go in for it, even if you come up short. Um, and I, I also think having a player like Steph Curry on your roster, in some ways, you're, you're kind of obligated, right? Like you, it, it's a pretty tough sell, especially after last year, um, you know, with, with Curry missing basically the entire year. It's a pretty tough sell to. 20 games into the year, be like, yeah, we're we're gonna kind of gut this roster, save a little cash, if you don't mind, uh, and we'll run it back next year with with Clay, who's coming off of two extremely severe injuries.
3: Yeah, and they can't. They might be too good right now to even like tank. They they might have won too too many games to like actually do it effectively at this point. Like most of the Eastern Conference is under 500 right now, um, and half the Western Conference is under 500, um, or just a little less than half. So like. Where is their, like how are they getting so bad that they're going to end up with the same amount of wins as or win percentage as Detroit, Washington, Minnesota, Sacramento, New Orleans?
1: Uh, how is that going to happen? That's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm trying to look up and, and ensure that they that they own their own pick this year. I don't I don't want to be talking too out of pocket uh, about what the Warriors should do before we. Well, the um, Minnesota
3: pick, the Minnesota pick is the main thing for them
1: because theoretically they can still be
3: good and get a good pick. So right. you, you have to understand that was the like, plan. Yeah. And that can still be the plan. Like if you want the playoff revenue, go ahead like mm-hmm. I and mean, go for it. Um, And don't quote unquote waste a Steph Curry year. Yeah. Um, You know, there are no fans in the stand. So maybe, you know, I can understand that might motivate them to not feel like they have to play up to their potential, but I, they're just in a tough spot. Like I, it's.
1: I don't know what they do. So to be clear, they they do owe their 2021 first to OKC as part of the UBRA deal, but it is top 20 protected. So, they, I mean, that that's a pick that they would almost certainly own. Um, and then the Minnesota pick is top three protected, which the way the Wolves are looking right now, that, that could very well be a yeah. top three pick, which would in this draft would be would be fairly devastating for Golden State. At the same time, even if even if you go with that plan, let's say you're you, you kind of pack it in. You know, I don't think you're going to bench Steph, but. Um, you just play out the season and, and let's say your pick, you know, your pick is like sixth and then you get the, the Minnesota pick at four. Even if you're adding two blue chip prospects in a great draft, as we saw with Wiseman, it's not like those guys are just gonna hit the ground running and, and you'll be good to go. You know, I, I think having Klay Thompson back is is a huge piece. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know that adding Klay Thompson to this roster and and taking away Kelly Oubre all of a sudden makes the Warriors a contender, does it? I mean, maybe maybe we're underrating Klay Thompson, but you know, if if the plan next year is Curry, Draymond, um, Clay Thompson, and then like three, two rookies, and then a second year James Wiseman, like I I don't I don't know how that beats the Clippers or beats the Lakers. It probably wouldn't. I mean, it
3: has some potential. Um, but all those guys again would be another year older. The the mm-hmm. main core. Right. That's the bigger thing. Yeah. I I think that team would be very good, but it would still have it would still have a lot of trouble. And, you know, if, I mean, if, if Kerr was trying to stealth tank this year, he would just play Wiseman more because Wiseman right. isn't giving them winning minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I, cause the, you know, they're not going to trade Curry. They're not going to trade Draymond. They're not going to like go that route.
1: No, no. I mean, they, you still have the Wiggins contract. Plus you, you could trade the Wolves pick, I guess, or, or trade your own pick. Um, you know, so there, there are moves to be made if if they want to take the season, in another direction, but, but yeah, it's been really weird. And and honestly, I, I think, I think for some teams, the no fans is, is much more damaging than for others. And for golden state in a new building, I mean, I, I think they, certainly two or three years ago, they were absolutely banking on having a lot of fans in this building and making a lot of money off it. And I, I think that's kind of been a low key thing. That's, that's impacted them. I think so too. Yeah. The RotoWire wire NBA podcast is brought to you by bet MGM Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That is why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when you placed your first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use promo code Roto, that's Roto, R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's Unmatched Sports Insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522 four seven zero zero in Colorado and Nevada and one 800 gambler in New Jersey and West Virginia in Tennessee call or text the red line at 800-889-9789 if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana promotional offer not available in Nevada all right next item on our sheet put very simply who is MVP, followed by three question marks. So, Alex, who is the MVP as of right now?
3: I have no idea. Okay, sorry. This is not a hot take. Oh. I cannot figure out who MVP is right now. The favorites are Doncic, LeBron, Embiid are all plus 500 or plus 550 at DraftKings. Mm-hmm. Durant plus 600, Jokic seven, Youngest nine. I don't feel great about any of those guys as like, you know, I mean, Jokic's number has been getting shorter. Like he started, you know, plus 1500 or something. And I think him and Embiid have made the biggest jumps because Embiid started pretty far back because of the injury concerns. And I think people are just down on him. I don't know who would win it if the season ended right now. Like I keep hearing Embiid hype. Like there are plenty of people on, you know, especially like Twitter, social media, Bleacher Report, everything like that, like hyping up Embiid's season, which is, deserved or at the top of the Eastern Conference and he's having his best offensive season and defensive season. Um, I just don't know. I think it's, I, I still think it's completely wide open um, especially with those six guys.
1: So I, I drove down to the great state of Illinois on Sunday morning prior to the Packers game to, to play some football wagers with some pals of mine uh, and I couldn't help but place Uh, a modest wager on LeBron to win the MVP, which normally I would not do. I, as you know, like a month and a half ago when we did our final preseason predictions, I actually included LeBron with James Harden and Kawhi Leonard as my three cross-offs among the favorites, (laughs) because I mean, LeBron himself had said like, yeah, I I might just not show up (laughs) until, until February, you know, like, right. I I, look, I took the guy at his word. I'm sorry. I got duped. He has not missed any games so far. He, He sprained his ankle on opening night and his, Demanded to be listed listed as questionable for every other game this year. I, I think he's probably going to go 71 for 71 as questionable yeah. and, and ultimately end up playing. But I, I do think things are lining up for LeBron to kind of like get like a backdoor MVP here, if that makes sense. As, as almost like a, I think at the end of the year, we'd look at it as like a makeup MVP. He maybe should have got last year's, uh, has been in the mix so many times and finished second or third. So many times and then, you know, you get to the playoffs and there's kind of this realization that LeBron is, is in fact still the best player. But like I, I think this year, like his numbers are not going to be anywhere close to to what they were last year, what they were some of the other years he should have won it. But the fact that there's not a, a clear runaway like James Harden averaging 36 points per game or Russell Westbrook averaging a triple double or Giannis doing what he did the last couple of years, I, I almost think it could just end up going to LeBron by default. Like, I, I think the Lakers are probably going to be the best team. I think he's been the best player on the best team. He just had 46 last night in Cleveland um, with the, with the exception of Embiid and Jokic, who I, I think have arguably been more individually dominant. Um, I, I think LeBron is right there. And and to me, both of those guys are on inferior teams that are volatile enough that, you know, if the Lakers win seven more games than the Nuggets and, you know, eight more games than the 76ers, If it comes down to LeBron or Nikola Jokic, I think a lot of people are going to side with LeBron as kind of a lifetime achievement MVP.
3: Yeah, that's I'm with you on that. Um, You know, Jokic, I think the argument against him will ultimately be team success slash defense and that he's not a two way player uh, and that the team is just not playing that well, despite his, you know, it's being basically averaging a triple double. It, you know, based on like on off court stats plus wins, Embiid has the best case right now. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned, they're top of the conference. He's uh, he's a plus twenty two point differential when he's on the court, uh, which is like among the best of any of these MVP candidates. Um, you know, like Lillard is up there at twenty one, Durant's up there at plus twenty, um, LeBron's at plus eleven. I think right now it's Embiid as the favorite. Um, even though, you know, for me, even though Doncic is slightly above him and LeBron is slightly above him, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 think saying he could get the backdoor MVP makes sense. Cause if he ends up playing, you know, basically all, you know, every game and continues to be efficient and the Lakers, you know, the best record in the conference and everything mm-hmm. like that, he has to be in consideration.
1: And I think this season being a weird one that the way it's going so far, I think it's still going to feel weird in, in April and May. And I, I feel like there's going to be, it's going to be just like easier to overlook maybe the statistical difference. Like LeBron is 16th in the league in PER right now. And Bede is one. Jokic is two. Uh, if you look at VORP and and box plus minus and whatnot, it's a little bit closer, but Jokic is one in VORP. LeBron is fourth. Um, I mean, there's the, LeBron's not, not having quite the same type of season And part of it's just due to the fact that he has more talent around him than he's had in, in recent years. But I also think he, as he always does, I think he recognizes that, all right, we're a quarter of the way in. I'm, I'm firmly in the MVP race. And we, we saw him do this last year too. Like I think he, he realizes what the situation is. And if he has a shot at it, historically he's tried to go for it. And I I think where he can separate himself from Embiid is, is with games played. Like if he, if he plays deep into October last year, and then plays like 70 out of 72 games. I mean, Embiid's already missed four games. He's probably going to miss 10 to 14, 10 to 15 over the course of the season. Um, even if Embiid has better numbers, I, I think this could, it could be one of those like, man, LeBron just played 70 games at age 36. Like, how, how can you not vote for him type of situations?
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we saw
1: some of that last year already.
3: We did. It, it would all, it, it would always make me nervous to have money on Embiid because of the injuries. Like, he, he's gotten... Yeah relatively lucky so far with him uh, injuries this season, missing four games at this point. Is not that big of a deal, um, but I don't know. No one, it's just that I, I don't know why Embiid doesn't feel dominant because he has been like, if you take away that weird nine point game he had against Miami, when I think they just basically blew out the heat, he's averaging 29 points on 16 and a half shots, 12 rebounds, two and a half assists, and basically three combined steals and blocks. Which is like that's an insanely dominant player, right? That's like Shaq level, and yet for some reason it just doesn't. We're not locking him in uh, for MVP, which again seems kind of strange. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, look, it, it's going to take a it's going to take a lot of like like you're mentioning it's going to take a lot of narrative for him not to win,
1: right? I think we almost at this point, we almost go into every season saying like, all right, LeBron is the default MVP. Someone has to pry it away from him. <laughs> right. And and honestly, for the most part, guys have like for the last, what, six years? When he he last won it, I think in 1213 his uh, third year in Miami. Like guys have done it. I mean, we've everybody that's won it I, to me, at least there hasn't been a lot of controversy. I, I know a few people kind of flip flopped over to LeBron at the end of last season. But I mean, come on, if it, that was Giannis's MVP. Uh, it should have been all season long, and, and even though LeBron proved to be the best player in the playoffs, I don't I don't think that changes how the regular season played out. I, I think I, I think you can almost cross off Giannis just because he's not winning it three times in a row. Enough people are skeptical of him based on what we've seen in the playoffs, not the regular season, that I think they're holding that against him. And to some degree, I think Embiid faces the same skepticism where he hasn't really put together a fully complete dominant season where he's he's been great statistically and been able to stay on the floor. And I almost feel like if he does that this year, that'll that'll be like the qualifying year and then next year people will finally take him seriously. Um, but to, to circle back on everything, like I agree with you that if you're basing it just 100% off of performance so far, not at all thinking about narrative, I think I think it's Embiid or Jokic, but when you factor narrative in, it it becomes a completely different debate.
3: Yeah, he still the thing about Embiid is he still needs I think he's going to have to rack up a couple really like dominant insane games against really good teams. Yeah, because his best basically his best three his his best five games so far for talking just straight up fantasy points Miami when they were I think down guys uh, Washington they're a joke Boston was, I think, down guys, and they're not even really a dominant team. I mean, you're doing that against Daniel Tyson, Tristan Thompson. Toronto has no center depth, and then Detroit. Those are his top five games. And so I think for him to maybe really reach into that MVP, like for people to feel like he's yeah. going to win and truly the favorite, he has to do that against the Clippers. He has to do that against the Lakers. He has to do that against the Bucs, <laughs> uh, teams like that.
1: So I want to bring up one other guy we have not hit on at all. And and that is my preseason best bet, Kevin Durant, who I, I think at the time was like 18 or maybe even 22 to one. And I, I know at one point he was down to like six to one. And I think he's in the eight to one range uh, right now. I, I still like Durant as kind of a dark horse. I, I guess my question to you is, does adding James Harden and building this you know video game like super team, does that disqualify him in the same way that it kind of disqualified him and Steph in Golden State?
3: Unfortunately, I think it kind of does. I think his efficiency is going to be really good still. Like it, strong chances efficiency goes up, right? And with yeah. having those guys around him. Um, and since Hargan made his debut, he's shooting 49, 43, 87 and averaging 32 a game. Um, eight rebounds, five and a half assists, two and a half blocks. Yeah, I mean, he could still win it. Um, it's just going to be... I think I think the volume question is another thing with him. Is he going to be able to... He would have to average 30 a game, right?
1: Can you see Durant winning MVP without averaging 30 a game? I, I could. And I think the reason why I was so in on him is I, th- I thought he was the only other guy that could challenge LeBron from a narrative perspective. I, I mean, I, I think w- whereas LeBron, it's like this lifetime achievement MVP... For Durant, it's the MVP slash comeback player of the year award because he you know not like you missed all of last season, obviously had the injury, gets finally gets his own team and and the way things were going. Like I I love that I was in on Durant for MVP. I I thought he was on track after the first like three weeks of the season to to kind of go right down that path because people people were just so excited to be seeing Kevin Durant play basketball again and reminded of how awesome he is that that it was kind of going just as I thought it would. But yeah, with, with the Harden thing, like I don't, I don't, I think Harden is for sure out. Like he, he, he was out the day that he didn't show up to training camp. Like he's not, he's not getting MVP votes. No. Kyrie's out because he's Kyrie. I, I, I think of those three, like Durant still has a chance. I, I wouldn't rule him out. I don't know what the numbers have to look like. I, I'm not sure if there's a certain threshold. I guess for me it would be more about wins. Like if, if Brooklyn goes on a tear and wins like 21 out of 22 games at some point and wins the Eastern Conference by like seven games. I, I think that maybe is their path to, to one of them. And obviously being a Durant, um, you know, being a real candidate.
3: Yeah. I mean, if he keeps, um, I mean, his shooting right now is unbelievable just in terms of percentages. Um, and I accidentally closed a the screen that had them up, but it's basically like, you know, 55, 47, you know, close to 90. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm with you on the narrative perspective, and again, from a, a stats case, you're talking efficiency. He's also putting up defensive numbers. If Brooklyn can be clo- uh, a top three seed in the East, he's going to be up there in the in the discussion. I think, I think if you got him though, like 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 let's say you got your your Durant bet in at 22 to one, I think you should at least consider selling that, right? Like if you can on like yeah. prop swap or whatever. Like I wouldn't feel good about it anymore. I, I, I might just try to sell out while I could. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I, I like I wouldn't I would stop short of saying that he's disqualified, but at the same time, I feel like all of the heat around the Harden acquisition is aimed at Harden, and then some of it at Kyrie because of what was going on at the time. Like when Durant went to okay or went to Golden State, it was all aimed at Durant, and then it would, partially it was just kind of like, come on, is, is Golden State really going to let this happen? And I think it was it was obvious like everyone knew Durant and Curry no, none of those guys were winning an MVP while they were playing together, whereas this this time it, it seems like KD was just kind of a bystander, and James Harden like pushed his way onto the team. Not that Durant didn't want him there, but it's not like like Durant was kind of separate from the whole narrative. And so I feel like in in some ways maybe it won't be held against him as harshly as the Golden State thing was. It shouldn't be no. All right, let's finish out on Rookie of the Year. I, I wrote a little bit about this in my NBA observations column that went up on the site and also went up on Yahoo this afternoon. I, I said in the column that I, I think it's basically a two-man race at this point. Um, that, that doesn't mean that James Wiseman, Cole Anthony, Anthony Edwards, guys like that are, are out of it. Emmanuel Quickly you know quickly has, has uh, emerged in that conversation as well. But the way it's looking right now and the way that it's reflected in the Vegas odds is that it's it's a two man race between LaMelo Ball and Tyrese Halliburton. And if LaMelo Ball was not named LaMelo Ball and hadn't been a Internet celebrity for the last like six years, I I think I think the odds would be flopped and Halliburton should probably be the favorite, at least in my mind.
3: Yeah, I think right now, like it's it's very quickly become difficult to make the case for LaMelo over Halliburton. You know, the past few games, uh, like, Lamelo is almost in the doghouse right now. Like, Borrego called him out on his turnovers. He's only seen 23 minutes a game over the past six. Um, and the shooting's been bad over that stretch, too. But you just compare their numbers. And first of all, Halliburton is the most efficient player in the NBA under the age of 21, which I thought was crazy. Um, 1.31 points per shot attempt. And him and Lamelo have basically the same defensive numbers. Except Halliburton follow fouls less than LaMelo. But just like the shooting percentages, the assists really aren't that different at all. Um, you know, Halliburton is at five, Lamelo's at six, and I don't know how much Lamelo's like offensive rebounding should be factored into that, but net rating better for Halliburton as well. Like the statistical case, it'd be hard to like if you crossed out these if you basically if you crossed out their names and you just put their stats up, you know, they're per game, they're ad, they're advanced. I don't know who would be like, yeah, the, you know, the LaMelo guy would be the one who should win rookie of the year.
1: Yeah. And I laid out their per game stats and their percentages uh, in my column. And LaMelo does have the advantage in terms of counting stats. I mean, he's at, he's over six rebounds a game, right at about six assists. Um, But Halliburton's not far behind and they're basically even in points. Halliburton conversely, has a massive advantage in terms of efficiency. Like, he's shooting, like, 10 percentage points better from the field, way better at the line, way better from three. Um, I mean, he's over 40% from three on the year. That that number probably comes down, but we're also now seeing more like the lamella ball that I think we thought we'd see from an efficiency standpoint. Um, I mean, th- that doesn't erase the fact that he was awesome in, in the middle of the month when he had that triple-double, uh, had a couple near triple-doubles around it, but we're now starting to see the you know, four for 11, four for 11, six of 14, two of eight type of games from the field. He was 0-5 from three the other night against Orlando. Uh, and like you said, the turnovers. I mean, that that was one of the things that, that you and I had touched on on this podcast more than once was, I mean, we kind of thought this guy would be, it wouldn't be crazy if he averaged like four or five turnovers a game as a rookie, because that's just how he played. He was so reckless in high school and, and overseas. And I, I think he threw his first like 15 games. He'd only had or maybe closer to twelve games. He'd only had like two or three games with more than two turnovers, and that was a big part of of his breakout. And then, and like you said, three turnovers last game, four turnovers the game before that, a couple five turnover games, um, you know, last week against Toronto and Chicago. Um, so he's kind of started to come back down to earth a little bit. Whereas, I mean, Halliburton has not had the type of peaks that Lamelo has had. You know, he doesn't have a a 22, 12, 11 game to his name, but he hit the ground. Running and looked really good, and just it, it just seems a little bit more sustainable with him. Like I'm, I'm like I'm not as worried about Tyrese Halliburton hitting some rookie wall uh, as I as I would be with most rookies, if that makes sense.
3: No, I'm with you on that. Um You know, I think like I haven't watched enough uh, like full Hornets games lately to see whether or not defenses are just adjusting to the to Lamelo lately, or if he's just becoming careless essentially. Uh But the turnovers have to be factored in for sure, especially if they keep rising and Halliburton. Yeah. He's just staying efficient. Like it helps that Halliburton can be more, I don't know. On one hand, like Halliburton, you know, he's not the complete focal point of the offense because Fox is there and healed is there. And Harrison Barnes has done more, but at the same time, like neither is LaMelo, they still have Rosier, Devonte Graham, Gorgon Hayward has been awesome for them. He's not like the focal point of the offense either. Um, and there's just like, I don't know, man, I, the shooting is really hard to ignore. Like, again, Halliburton is a 64% true shooting. Lamello is at 48%. That is an insane gap. Uh, and it's just, it's tough to make up. And I think, again, without the names, I think just based on stats, Halliburton should be the favorite.
1: Yeah, and I think the bigger sample we get as the year goes on, uh, you know, hopefully that will come to fruition. But at the same time, I mean, I, I think Lamello could certainly turn it around. It's kind of going to go week to week with him. I, I think he's... LaMelo has had more of those like, wow, like I need I need to text this highlight to my friend yeah. type of moments like Halliburton's had a couple of those. But with LaMelo, there's there's more there's more that the casual fan remembers and, and maybe the casual rookie of the year voter remembers. And I think that's factored into it. I mean, from a team perspective, Charlotte's seven and ten, Sacramento is six and ten. I, I think they're both kind of heading the same direction. I mean, defensively, Sacramento has been one of the all time worst defenses we've ever seen. So far, I, I don't think they would necessarily get that turned around. And Charlotte is just at a disadvantage from an overall talent perspective. So like, I don't think it's going to be a situation where one team has 15 or 20 more wins than the other and that breaks the tie. Like I, I think it's it's going to be a matter of preference. Like do you prefer the efficient, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more quieter, you know, quiet assassin type of style of, of Halliburton versus Lamelo, who who might turn it over five times one game, but then give you a triple double the next night.
3: Right, and then you have to consider that. Like, is on the better team, but he has a negative net rating. Yeah. And uh, Halliburton is on uh, the worst team, but he has a positive net rating. And he's, he's actually the one keeping them from losing more games. Right. Uh, which is crazy.
1: I, I think with Halliburton, it's
2: like,
1: I mean, how many, like, he could probably start for half the league right now. Like, even a lot of good teams, he would be, uh, he would be like their starting two guard.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you get a guy who is shooting that efficiently and yeah. doesn't make mistakes on offense and is a right. pretty solid defender. Yeah, again, like who wouldn't? A lot of teams would start.
1: Okay, so looking at it this way, you know, I, I think, like I said, I think Halliburton's probably the player most teams would find more useful right now. My my guess is that most teams would still rather have LaMelo Ball for the next five to 10 years. Uh, how would you answer that question? Which of, which of those two, you know, if you're picking, if you have the number one pick in the draft right now, who who are you taking?
3: Oh, that's tough. Um, Or is it someone else? I don't think it's anyone else right now. Um, You know, you'd have to consider, like, I don't want to entirely rule out Anthony Edwards. He hasn't looked great. I don't want to rule out James Wiseman as someone who could still go number one. Uh, Because, you know, again, with Wiseman, like, he's played, like, almost no competitive basketball in his whole life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, Because he missed, like, all of college. And... I think I would go with I think I would go with Halliburton like balls impressed me a lot. Like he's better than I thought he would be, but I still worry about him long term as someone who like, yeah, he'll get you a ton of assists. Maybe he cleans up the turnovers. I think he is a high IQ player, but your IQ really only matters so much. If you are shooting like 30 percent from three, like we see this with Giannis, like a dot, like a guy who has the ball in his hands all the time who just can't hit threes. And really isn't dagger yep. fishing in general, and doesn't hit his free throws. There's kind of a cap to that player. Um, I'm not sure what the cap on Tyrese Halliburton's game is right now. Uh, all that you can really, I think, poke holes in his game right now is that he doesn't get to the free throw line a lot. You know, it's like one and a half free throws a game. But that's it. I don't. I don't know what else you're you're saying yeah. that highly Halliburton can't do.
1: Yeah, he's he's a ready-made NBA starter right now, which you, you don't see that all too often. Um, I mean, it, it honestly it reminds me a lot of the Malcolm Brogdon situation. And obviously Brogdon yeah. went a lot later. And I think that was a little bit more of a surprise, but I mean, it was, it was clear right away with Brogdon, like this guy, this guy is going to be an asset. He's not a developmental piece uh, for us. Is, is there anyone else that we mentioned or didn't mention in those odds who you could maybe see sneaking their way into this race? I mean, you have to at least consider
3: Cole Anthony and Emmanuel quickly.
1: Yep, those are my two as well.
3: You know, quickly, I'm not sure he's going to get the minutes because Thibodeau seems to like playing Alfred Payton, and there is only so much usage to go around when R.J. Barrett is launching up shots and Julius Randle is basically the team's you know, de facto point guard. And Cole Anthony, I mean, it, Cole Anthony's played better lately, right? I mean, he's got the keys yep. to the car at this point because of Markel Fultz going down with an injury. Um, and, you know, basically since he started... Uh, he's averaging 13 points on 41, 41, 73 shooting four rebounds, three assists. It's pretty solid. Um, but I think he would have to, he would have to, you know, bump that up to probably like 15 points, five assists to get real consideration from anybody.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a shame. We were on Anthony a month or two before the season when he was like 40 to one to win rookie of the year. And like he has fallen into the perfect situation to win it, you know. Like if yep. it's kind of it's crazy to imagine. Like what would Halliburton or or Ball be doing if they were or in that situation? And he, like you said, he's been better. I, I think over the course of the year, he's probably like the safest bet to to have a say in this, just because he's like one of the only rookies that's locked into 30 minutes a night. I don't think Orlando's bringing in anybody else. Like they they're they're kind of okay just with him holding that down. Um. So so by default, he's probably my number three, but. I mean, quickly has the single highest scoring game of any rookie this year. He just had 31 the other night against Portland and his last seven games, 16.3 points, three and a half assists, two rebounds, uh, almost one block per game, 47% from the field, 44% from three on five attempts per game and 90% at the line. I mean, he's, he's North of 90% at the line on the year. Um, And that's all in less than 20 minutes per game. So I I think if quickly was was playing 28, 29 minutes like like ball and Halliburton and Anthony, I think he would be right there with those guys.
3: I think so. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's just a matter of like he would have had to get drafted in a different situation where he could have started. And I think he would have been a legitimate rookie to year candidate. But that's just not happening. I, I don't think with New York unless, you know, they make some drastic trade or someone gets hurt.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's the guy I would, if I had like a thousand dollars that I had to bet on rookie of the year right now, based on value, I think I might put it on him, you know, maybe sprinkle a little bit on Halliburton, but I, I don't know. It's, it's not insane that they could just like wave Alfred Payton some random afternoon. Is it like, I don't know. Like, it, I think it's certainly possible that at some point he takes over that job, especially if he keeps playing like he did uh, on, on Sunday, like everybody on that Knicks roster other than Barrett. And I, I suppose at this point, Julius Randle are pretty replaceable. And I guess Mitchell Robinson's in that conversation as well. Like it would not shock me whatsoever if Alfred Payton or Alec Burks or Austin Rivers or Reggie Bullock or Neil Akina or you know Dennis Smith, basically any guard on this team was not on the team a week from now.
3: Yeah, I don't know what Payton's giving you that quickly isn't. And they just got Alec yeah. Burks back, who is also going to handle the ball a lot. So it's like if you got rid of Payton for almost nothing, I don't think you're really like you're not losing a ton. I know they yeah, want to I, win games and they want to have like a full roster, but right. Eh.
1: Ironically, the worst part or the worst thing for his candidacy is the Knicks like hanging around 500. Yeah. Like they, if, if they were three and nine right now, like the wizards, I think quickly would probably already be the starter, but like the, the more that they hang around for a playoff spot, the less they probably trust him.
3: Yeah, that's true.
1: All right. We'll put a bow on this one. Um, we, we didn't get to a few topics, but we will, uh, we will eventually tackle. What will it take for the Kings to fire Luke Walton? What will it take for the Wolves to fire Ryan Saunders? Um, but we, we hit on most of it. Uh, finally, glad to start be, start being able to talk about some trades. And, you know, we're, we're far enough into the year um, that that's starting to bubble up. And do you when, do you even know when the trade deadline is this year? Not off the
3: top of my head. Um, I'm
1: gonna look it up. I will. Do you do you have a guess? N-
3: um, uh, like March fifteenth.
1: March twenty fifth. Very close. Okay. Very close. So, yeah, I mean, after, we'll see what happens with this All-Star game, but that'll be basically two weeks um, after the All-Star break. So, coming up. Coming up.
2: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.